are listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. Welcome to day 139 and 140 of Reading Through the Bible. You're listening to the oral tradition. We're talking about it. Yeah. And uh, we're really enjoying it. We are in, well, I'll let you tell where we are today, Matt. I always, I always do this every day. That's all right. I forgive you. Thanks, man. <laughs> I believe that I'm forgiven. <laughs> Today's Old Testament reading is 1 Samuel 2, chapter 2, verse 27 through chapter 7. So we kind of got a lot of material to cover today. A lot of things to cover today, but all very pivotal as we're following now what's going on with uh, God and the religious, I- the religious side of all the political stuff that we've gone through. We've covered, what, 350 years of judges? Yeah. Almost, almost 400, and we got reintroduced to the Levites. And they're in a bad place. They're in a bad place, and now Eli is kind of the priest, and, and he gives us a temperature of the, spiritually what's going on in Israel. And right. it's kind of all... A little bit fat. Yeah. <laughs> and out of shape. It's not good. And so last episode we had his sons totally acting like original Levi and abusing the signs of God to get what they wanted. And Levi is just kind of like, hey guys, stop that. It's not cool. But not willing to do the thing that right. needs to be done. And, and in essence, um, they're not honoring God. They're honoring themselves in the name, this is where I always think, uh, don't use the name of God in vain. Yeah, Eli and Phineas are using the name of God in vain to basically get honor and pleasure and everything for themselves. They're yes. literally taking the fat that belongs to the Lord and yeah. receiving honor. And Eli, it's not even. I used to think this was about bad parenting, but no, this is about Eli not taking honoring the Lord and that position of priest seriously. Yeah, and so when this happens. Uh, there always is a point in God's grace and mercy that he sends a prophet. It's a loving parent who is watching children uh, continually put themselves in dangerous positions. You don't just go, oh, I love you, or whatever. Um, he sends the prophet. And the prophet, we don't really know where he comes from. He just came a man of God to Eli, and he said to him, the worst things possible. Yeah, and so you usually see this happen where an unnamed prophet will enter the scene when the Levites, like the, the people who are supposed to be controlling and have a closest relationship with God, when they are dysfunctional, usually God sends someone from the outside right. to come in and speak truth. And, and so this is horrible news. And he basically says, long story short, yeah. Eli, you have dishonored me. Um, I, you, no one is representing my mind or my heart, mm-hmm. which, of course, Jesus perfectly perfectly does. And he says, therefore, I'm cutting you off. I'm cutting off your line. I'm cutting off any future for you. It's over and I will raise up a new prophet. I'm sorry. In fact, it's so bad that all your descendants are going to die early. Mm -hmm. They're going to be struggling. It's going to be awful. Yeah. And I'll raise up someone new because uh, I'm trying to create a kingdom of priests. Mm -hmm. And when the one priest can't even walk with me or know me or keep anything holy or set apart for me, it's over. Yeah. For the sake of the people. Like when you're a leader, it's different. Mm-hmm. So um, that's how this, that's how chapter two ends, right? Yep. It's, hey man, things are, things are coming to an end because you have failed to protect 
But then God, uh, and again, so God hasn't spoken for a while, you know, it's like mm-hmm. they got kind of comfortable not hearing from God because mm-hmm. they weren't able to be even in his presence properly. But now we do hear the voice of God in chapter three, and that's through little sweet baby Sam. Yeah. We'll call him Sam, Samuel. Mm-hmm. So Samuel, remember, is a fulfillment of God's faithfulness to Hannah. So little Samuel's growing up in the tabernacle, mm-hmm. sleeping next to the co- uh, to the Ark yeah. of the Covenant. And in the middle of the night, he hears the voice of the Lord say, um, Samuel, Samuel. And little Samuel doesn't yet know these things, because mm-hmm. how could he? Yeah. And he, so he goes to his leader, Eli. Eli, you called me? This happens three times, right? Mm-hmm. The third time, Eli's like, this is the Lord, man. Go listen. So Samuel says... I don't know how old Samuel is at this point. Yeah, we're not sure. But he basically finally he finally does what Eli tells him to do, which is says, "Speak, Lord, your servant is listening." And I love mm-hmm. that verse. It often comes to my mind um, because that's the position I want to be in. Mm-hmm. Speak, Lord, and every time we read the Word of God, I want to be in that position of yeah. "Speak, Lord, your servant is listening." And so, of course, the Lord says what the prophet already went ahead to say. Yeah, which is Phineas and Hophni. Are um, totally evil and corrupting the only good thing on the planet, mm-hmm. and so it's over for them. And I'm going to establish you, Samuel. Yeah, <laughs> and then Eli is smart because he's already heard from the prophet, yes. and he knows things are kind of headed this way. And so he's probably looking at you know what, little Sam, I wish you were my kid because my kids are messing it up mm-hmm. so bad. And what did the Lord say? And yeah. at, at first he, he goes, uh. Yeah, because I mean, it's intimidating. He's probably pretty young. He's probably still a kid at this point, and and he's having to tell his boss, uh, "Yeah, the Lord said he's cutting off your line," and he probably is not aware of the prophecy of this earlier prophet. No, and but Eli's aware, and Eli's like, "Look, just tell me. <laughs> he, d- don't hold anything back." Well, he calls him Samuel, my son, and then he says, "What is it he told you? Don't hide it." May God do so to you and more if you hide anything from me and all that he told you. And so that's putting you against the wall. Like, I heard awful stuff. I don't want any part of that. So Samuel tells him. He's like, it's the Lord. He told him everything. Like, you're in trouble. And kids are in trouble. Eli recognizes this. And he recognizes, like, it's all right, that's from God. Uh, Let him do what seems good to him. And it is an interesting response. But at this point, I think Eli's big thing is kind of apathy. Yeah, he's apathetic, but he also knows better. And yeah. you know, when you're apathetic, you know better, but you're like, oh, well, I'm going to eat another bag of chips. Yeah. Um, and so <laughs> it ends with, chapter three ends with, Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. I love that saying. That is such a great saying. It would be so wonderful to be known. I know I'm not known like that. There are many of my mm-hmm. words, especially when hanging out with the great and honorable Adam Barkat, where my words <laughs> fall to the ground because they're silly yeah. and nonsense. Um, not that that's a condemnation, but it is a, it's a cool thing. I would love to be that to be spoken of me. None of his words fell to the ground. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think, it, I think you were allowed to be silly, but yeah. I think it's, it's saying when it came to the Lord and to what's going on at the tabernacle and the things of God, he wasn't messing around like mm-hmm. the two other sons, the two older boys were. Yeah, and it ends with, um, and the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And this idea that God is once again active within his people, 
and within the priestly leadership because there's finally someone who's willing to listen right? and have a relationship with God. And that's what the next, what, three chapters we're going to cover? Yeah. Uh, I mean, we'll just say it up front and then kind of uh, pick the meat off the bone here. But it is all about God wants a relationship. He wants to be somewhere. Mm-hmm. And just like us, if I go somewhere and I say, hey, you know, um, I have a peanut allergy. Yeah. <laughs> I think I've used that already once this year. But I have a peanut allergy, and all you do is provide a bunch of peanut snacks. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I can't be there. You guys are trying to kill me. Mm-hmm. And so God is looking for people who go, oh, I care about being with you, so we're not going to eat peanuts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. That's all That's it is. All, it's not hard. Yeah. There are lots of options. Um, and so God is restoring his presence <clears throat> to his people through this young child, uh, a, basically a miraculous birth, who's been set apart. He speaks to this child. The child now grows up. It's growing up strong and in wisdom and in stature. They say that about Jesus even. Mm-hmm. So he's definitely a type of, you'll see types of Jesus. Yeah. Uh, not the actual son of God yet, but types. And so chapter four then gets into the worst, probably the, you, you figure it can't get any more to low <laughs> than Levi Hacking up that girl, right? Oh, the Levite, yeah. The concubine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, It can't get any worse than that. Or killing thousands of Benjamites and, you know, killing each other and Mm -hmm. acting like, or prostituting at the uh, tabernacle of God. But it does get lower. Chapter 4, I think it's one of the lowest points for the people of God. Oh, totally. And it's where they go into battle against the Philistines. And... They're losing. They're losing. And so their response is... Let's get the Ark of the Covenant, the most mm-hmm. holy thing that people couldn't even handle. Only a specific group of people could go and see mm-hmm. and be around because it's yeah. so set apart. It's the throne of God. Let's take that in as a good luck charm. Mm-hmm. So you start to see the people of God. Um, it's confusing if you read this because you think, they're, oh, the Ark of the Covenant is the presence of God, and it has given victory before. Mm-hmm. So why won't it work this time? Because God, again wants a relationship with his people and we're not using, like they're manipulating God right. at this point. And this is something that was always lost on me before, but they're looking like, oh, we just need that good luck charm. They have not handled the things of God. They've not listened to God. They've not done anything he's wanted. And so they're just going to, they're not asking God, hey, what should we do in this? They're just going, you know what? There's stories that we remember from 300 years ago about using the ark. So let's just do that thing right. again and expect the same result. And so everybody kind of gets worked up. Yeah. They get the ark and all of Israel has this renewed energy because they're all starting to believe that our, that our God is just like every other God. It's a good luck charm mm-hmm. that you manipulate that God to do what you want. Uh-huh. And so they bring it in and the Philistines are like, man, they, they brought their God into camp. Yeah. And they're freaking out a little bit. And so they're like, "Uh uh-oh. But then their attitude is, well, we're going to die anyway. Let's go into battle. Mm -hmm. So they go for it, and they defeat Israel. Mm -hmm. They steal the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah, they kill 30,000 foot soldiers. (laughs) I guess. Crazy. But the worst part is they take the throne of God that God had set up, that he gave instructions for, that Mm -hmm. he had been there. He'd given all these victories going back to Egypt it's nuts. And so then one guy runs back. He runs 18 well, miles. And then in that, Eli, uh, oh, Hophni yeah. and Phineas uh, die in that hole yeah. because they're out there with the ark. <laughs> and so they get killed. So the priests are dead. 
Mm-hmm. People, uh, the people trusted them for some reason, yeah. not because they didn't. The people, again, we're just the people. It's good to remember we're just the people, and we go with our leaders. Mm-hmm. And so when our leaders are so corrupt, God does hold leaders to a higher standard. Yeah. And so they don't know. They think maybe, uh, maybe they do know, and not all of them are like that. But it doesn't matter. It's Hophnius and Phineas die because they were manipulating God. Yeah. And so the people suffer. 30,000 die because of that. That's why, and I say this because I'm just growing into more and more how important it is that Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is our king. Mm -hmm. Jesus is our prophet. And that even when we screw it up, he manages the kingdom of God. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. (laughs) That you and I are not in charge of the kingdom of God. And so uh, a Benjamite (laughs) runs 18 miles. He's mourning the loss of this. And he tells Eli... And Eli is sitting there, apparently really overweight. Yeah, really overweight. Which again, just kind of, I mean, what it is what it is, but I think we can look at this spiritually. It's not a spiritual, I'm not making a spiritual judgment. Um, please don't hear me that way. But he's spiritually kind of apathetic mm-hmm. and overweight and not strong anymore. And he's old and he has weak eyes because, but I think you can say spiritually he's not seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and he falls over. Oh, yeah. before that though, doesn't one of their... Well, okay, so he, so the Benjamin comes. He's like, uh, "We were defeated. Your sons are dead." And Eli's like, "Yeah, kind of knew that was coming. Saw that coming. Uh, heard two prophecies about that." Yeah, and then he says, "And the Ark of the Covenant was stolen." And that's where <laughs> Eli is like, "What? What?" He falls backwards and breaks his back or neck and dies. I mean, that's the one thing he was in charge of. Yeah. And so, like, he's just, like, he dies from shock, basically. And then... Breaks his back, breaks his neck, dies. And then uh, his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phineas, is, like, pregnant and and is, like, giving birth as she finds this out. Right. And dies in childbirth. But, like, before she dies, she names her son Ichabod because she knows the glory of the Lord has departed from Israel. Yeah, so this kid is going to grow up with the name Ichabod. Yeah, the glory of the Lord has departed. Boom. And so God's word's being fulfilled. His judgment is coming to pass. At the same time, though, he's working salvation. Yeah. I, like God's doing this again. His anger is, is, is founded in love. Mm-hmm. And so in, it's hard for us to see, especially as little, little children. And, um, but God is actually saving them. In the lowest point. So the Ark of God now is stolen by the, the Philistines, and they're going to add it to their collection of gods and good luck charms. And for them, gods, you have to remember this, and even to Israel, surrounding all the gods represented uh, like geography. Mm-hmm. So you have God of the hills, God of the plains, God of water. God, and mm-hmm. so they're like, cool, we're going to get the God of these fruitful plains mm-hmm. of Canaan, you know? And, but and, it turns out a little different. Yeah, and so the thing that you would do, though, when you conquer a god, you bring it to your god's temple, and like it now sits in your god's temple as subserving it to your god. Right. And so their head god was Dagon, and they're people of the sea. They came over from islands. They're not natives of Canaan. And uh, they put it in the temple of Dagon as like a like celebration. And then the next morning, they come back, and their statue of Dagon is now fallen and its head is on the ground, and it looks like it's bowing to the Ark of the Covenant. And they're kind of like, whoa, that's not cool. That's kind of scary. So they set it back up. And then the next day, they come back, 
And again, Dagon is fallen on his face, but now his hands and his head yeah. are broken off and past the threshold of the temple that they're in. So he was taken out. And then in the ultimate... So I don't know if you know this too about... Like even the idea of how we pray, our posture of prayer, mm-hmm. like folding your hands and bowing your head, you would do this in front of a king to show that you have no weapons in your hands. Mm-hmm. Like your hands are folded, so they're not on a weapon. You're submitting, and then you bow your head because the king could have the option of cutting your head off. Mm-hmm. And that's what full submission is. So when we bow to Jesus, let's bow our heads and pray. We're showing our hands, they're hiding nothing, and we're giving our submission. The ark made just the presence of God there, turned their idol into the ultimate position of submission. But he wasn't just in a position of submission. His head was cut off and his hands were cut off. Like, you are done. Yeah. And then, on top of that, in this city uh, of Ashdod, uh, all of a sudden, all the men in this town start growing tumors. And they all are afflicted with tumors. And so they're like, swellings. They're like, uh, this is bad. And so they are like, um, we're done. We need this ark to go somewhere else. And so we're going to send it to one of our other main cities, Gad or Gath. Well, and two about that, uh, if you, you look it up a little bit, the tumors, some historians think that it might be like enlarged lymph glands of, of the groin. Or it could go along with the bubonic plague. Because mm-hmm. there's a uh, thing about mice, too. Yeah. And so it could there's be... Like early, rats and everything. Yeah, yeah. like a, a black plague uh-huh. goes through and wipes people out. And so they have... The sign is these tumors, these swellings in their bodies. And they're like, uh, we're done. And the groin area would be like all of your... Fer- not just you, but your fertility is done. Mm-hmm. And they know. They know mm-hmm. why this is happening. Yeah, so they're, they... They pass it off to another main city, and they're thinking, like, okay, maybe Gath can handle this better than we can. So they take it to Gath, and then the same thing happens at Gath. And they're like, oh, man, all right, so let's go to Ekron. They send it to another city, and the same thing happens there again. And now they're just like, we don't know what to do. Well, I love their response because they know that if they try to destroy this beautiful, ornate box... Yeah. That it'll bring more judgment. Mm-hmm. And so, again, like, the bad thing about idol worship is it's bad. The good thing about it is you do have a spirit, at least you have, it's skewed and wrong, but you, it's a manipulative spiritual view. At least you have something spiritual. Mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes, like in our culture, we've tried to denude all spirituality from being real, which is to cut us off from a part of our humanity. Mm-hmm. And so we would have a hard time this day and age even attributing it to anything spiritual, we'd be like, oh, it's that we have to fight the plague. Um, but they get that, and they're like, get this thing out of here. Yeah, so then we get into chapter 6 where they're like, okay, it's been seven months. <laughs> Nothing good has happened. Uh, we need to get rid of this. Uh, and so they get their diviners and their spiritual authorities, and they're like, what do we need to do? And they're like, okay, we can't touch it. We don't want to handle it anymore. We're going to make... We're going to make some golden tumors and golden mice, and we're going to put it on a wagon, and we're going to put the mice and the tumors next to the wagon, and then we're going to get it, we're going to hook it up to two milk cows who have never pulled anything in their lives. We're going to yoke them together. We're going to take away their uh, calves, which um, milk cows would normally, like if they're separated from their newborn calves, they would do everything they can to look for their calves. Right. 
And so we're going to hook them up to this wagon and, and we're going to just see what happens. And yeah. if they pull it back to Israel, then that really is their God. And all these things are just not a coincidence. They actually were from their God. And if not, then it was a coincidence and we'll keep it and destroy it. So here's what's shocking. They never once, it's not reported, try to worship this God. No. So their idea is never to go, let's worship this all-powerful God. No. Instead, they make more idols. They're always worshiping the created thing. And then they're using divination, right? Mm-hmm. So like it's the divination is these cows, and wherever they go, if they go this way, it's good. If they go that way, it's bad. Yeah. Like that's the best yeah. they have. It is. And it's shocking that they don't just say, let's worship this God. But that's the condition of human nature, right? That's the, that's the human nature apart mm-hmm. from the work of God calling us to himself. Like faith doesn't just appear out of even necessity. Right. Like all the way to the end, it's like, let's make idols and control this. And even though we have no control, divination seems like a better answer. Right. That's all, a, that's all they have. We'll flip a coin and go this way or that way and see what happens. Yeah. And so, of course, God leads miraculously so it's another proof to the Philistines that this God is real. Mm-hmm. These milk cows go straight back into Israel. Israel. End up in a field of Joshua, which is pretty symbolic. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Uh, and they go straight there, and the people see it, and they are, like, celebrating. They're so happy. Like, the ark, the glory of the Lord has come back to Israel right. on its own. Like, yeah. Here it comes, just marching into the city, drawn by these milk cows on a cart. And they're like, what? Like, the, the ark just appears. Right. We didn't have to go get it. We didn't have to do anything. God, God's presence wants to be with his people so badly that it just comes back on its own accord. I love that. And then we get this kind of, at first, confusing scene. Well, they offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. Yeah. They uh, took down the ark. The Levites took down the ark of the Lord in the box and there was these golden figures, and I don't know what they did with those. I'm, I think they just tried to burn everything. And then, um, and the five lords of the Philistines saw it. So the, the yeah. Philistines saw it, and they went back. They're like, all right, cool. All right. Um, the, oh, there it is. In verse 17, these are the golden tumors that the Philistines returned as mm-hmm. a guilt offering to the Lord. And so, and the golden mice, according to the number of all the cities. So this must have been all the cities mm-hmm. that were that got the black plague. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, it says the great stone beside which they set down the ark of the Lord is a witness to this day in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. And so, um, <laughs> immediately, what happens is seventy of these men, Israelites, mm-hmm. die because they're poking around the ark of the covenant. Yeah. It's like very clear that only a, the high priests can handle these things, right? So even well, it's just Aaron's line. Yeah, so like so if you can remember back mm-hmm. in Leviticus, there was a very clear structure of how to handle the movement of the ark of the covenant. And the only time any the ark of the covenant was supposed to be exposed was in the holy of holies, right. and only the high priest of Aaron's line could see it. Otherwise, the Levites of um of Moses and Aaron's line, mm-hmm. uh, they are of clan. They could handle it, but it had to be covered, and they could only carry it with the poles. Yeah, like 10 feet away. And like. so now it's uncovered in a cart, and these 70 men who should know better are not, and they're messing around with it. They're trying to look in it, and 
God strikes them dead because they are in the presence of God the Father. I mean, this is why Korah, Korah's rebellion. Yeah, like, that's they, happened. They wanted to be the people. They were the ones who carried everything covered mm-hmm. up. Yep. And they're like, we want to see it. Yeah. And so they should have known better, but they're looking illegitimately, seeing things mm-hmm. of God and not realizing it's like looking into the sun. You're going to yeah. get burnt. Like this is the real glory of God and mm-hmm. nothing personal. It's just a giant wave of God's presence, which will drown you. Yeah. And so that happens. 70 men died. And then that freaks out the people, right? Yeah. And so they send messengers to a nearby town called Kirith Jerem. And they say, uh, the Ark of the Lord's been returned. Uh, please come down and take it away from us because 70 of us have died and we clearly don't know what we're doing. We don't know what we're doing. And so they did. <laughs> and, 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 and then um, I guess the main idea for me too is we ought to have reverence for the holy things of God. Mm-hmm. Um, cause, and the way you have reverence, I think, is a relationship. Yeah. It's not a magic trick. No. And so when we use God in a way to, to manipulate him and we think we just do the right thing, we get what we want, that's not how God works. Mm-hmm. He works in a relationship. So you can you can poke around and be with God and explore Him and look at the things of God in, in a relationship. In the boundaries of His relationship. The yeah. same way my kids can walk into my bedroom while I'm getting ready for work uh-huh. and be like, Dad, I need something. Like, we have that relationship. Yeah. If you showed up in my bedroom at 6.30 and I'm changing, I'd be like, Matt, I'm calling the cops. <laughs> I know who you are. No yeah. hard feelings, but uh, obviously a boundary has been crossed. Right. And you need yeah. to spend a night in jail. Yeah. Um, well, then Samuel, and this is it. We're in chapter 7 now. Samuel then uh, restores, kind of restores. He becomes the real judge of Israel. The real judge and priest of Israel. Yeah. For really a prophet, priest. And I'd say prophet, priest, and king at this point. Yeah. Which is the judge because he's restoring the story. He's giving the heritage. He's like, look, we're returning to the Lord with all of our heart. Mm-hmm. And there's the relationship part of it. So put away the foreign gods and the asterisks. So there's foreign gods and there's foreign things that they've all kind of started ascribing to again. Mm-hmm. Put them away from you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. See, that's that's the phrase. He's saying, direct your heart to the Lord. Well, what do I have to do to direct my heart? And so we can give you ideas even now. It's Mm -hmm. like, here's how we get to know God. Read the Bible. Mm -hmm. But don't read the Bible and then think, I read the Bible and now my life should be better. Right. That is a religious, idolatrous, um, divination way of approaching God. Mm -hmm. We approach God as a child. Daddy, I love you. Would you help me out? Mm -hmm. I love your story. Or help me to love your story because I'm... I'm kind of distracted. I don't want to read it now. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to be good for reading it or bad for not. It's it's not like that. And so that's what God is always trying to get into his people. So this last be with you. This last great judge, Samuel, mm-hmm. is saying, direct your heart. Let's get back. He gathers everybody and he prays to the Lord for us. Again, like a Jesus activity. Samuel is representing us to God. Mm-hmm. And so he says, we've sinned, Lord. Yeah. Forgive us. And that's how he judges the people of Israel. So like confession, repentance, and then belief, which is faith. So and you, absolution. Yeah. You're, you're absolved because you believe that this God can forgive you. So he then gives a stern warning. Don't ever cease to cry out to the Lord that he might save us from this low-grade kind of constant occupation of the Philistines. Because mm-hmm. you do get the impression, and we'll see it in the next chapters, the Philistines are kind of like the Romans... In Jesus' day. Yeah. They're allowing, Philistines are allowing you to live, but they're going to control things economically and they're going to control things a little bit religiously. And when they want something, they're just going to take it. Mm-hmm. So you're not really free. 
Um, but you need to cry out. So then he offers up a appropriate sacrifice and he prays down. Um, he prays to the Lord and there is a little bit of a, the Philistines drew near to attack. But and the Lord fights for them. And the Lord fights for them. Oh, this is another example. I think this happens again. I mean, I've seen this three or four times now where the Lord throws the opposition into confusion. Yeah. And they start like attacking themselves. Yep. Yeah. And so he gives them a great victory. He praises God and, um, and restores some peace for the meantime mm-hmm. to Israel. Oh, and the, the one thing, I know, because we're going, yeah, yeah going. who cares? This is fun. Um, the idea of God throwing the enemy into confusion, mm-hmm. I feel like that's what we see play out in our world of politics and entertainment. <laughs> People, you know, and they even say, you're in one day and you're out the next. Mm-hmm. And uh, I used to watch America's Next Top Model or all those shows like, they'll love you. This is the look right now. You're in. And then tomorrow, it's like, we don't like that anymore. Mm-hmm. And I feel like apart from the Lord, it's very easy for us to be all together. And then we get thrown into confusion and we start attacking everybody. Yeah. And we attack ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> and so we want to be with the Lord, man. The Lord, man. The Lord, comma, man. Yeah. Woman. Uh, so finally, little Samuel grows up. And he's restoring order. Yeah. And that's what we got for today, right? That gets us through chapter 7. And I think out of all the judges, too, except for maybe Deborah, we finally have a judge that is in relationship with God. Since a child. Yeah. So, praise God. There's an actual relationship going on. Well, and that's what's so beautiful about Jesus. We want a leader and a king who has a a heart. And you'll see the parts of Jesus in these guys. Mm Mm-hmm. So Jesus talks to God. He hears God. He is God. So like there's an ongoing relationship. I do what the Father tells me yeah. to do. Father, this is, you know, God talks to him. It's great. So this gets us through 1 Samuel chapter 7. Good stuff. Yeah. All right. Moving on to the New Testament. The New Testament reading for today is John chapter 11 through chapter 12, verse 11. And this is great, too, because now we see Jesus interacting with a family that he's in relationship with. Yeah. It's God having a relationship, a very real, familiar relationship. The death of Lazarus. This yeah. is this chapter 11 is one of my favorites for several reasons, but I love the starting off with the relationship. It's the relationship of God to people, to friends, mm-hmm. the relationship of God or Jesus to death. Yeah. And the reality of its sadness, and um, but the reality of his strength over death. Mm-hmm. And so, um, just to catch you up on the story, good friend Lazarus dead or dying. Mm-hmm. Jesus says, "Let's go in a few days." Everybody's mm-hmm. like, "Why don't you go now?" He's dying, and then his disciples are like, "Why would we go up there? We'll die. Do we want to die too? Because it's dangerous territory." Yeah, that's close to Jerusalem, and they know right now they're in a lot of trouble. <laughs> right. And um, and then Jesus just keeps saying beautiful Jesus type things. Yeah, where he's like, "If you walk in the day, you will not stumble because mm-hmm. you see, uh, he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him." Mm-hmm. And then he goes, "Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him." Yeah. And they're like, he's not just sleeping, Jesus, he's dead. And then finally Jesus straight out says, I know he's died, and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there. 
so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Mm-hmm. Totally confusing if you're there because you don't know the end of the story. You're like, yeah. wait, why are you glad yeah. he's dead? And now let's go to him. It's too late. Now we're just putting ourselves in danger because that's what Thomas or yeah, Thomas is like, let us go so that we may die with him. Yeah. I, and I think that that part of the story has always been lost on me is the real danger right. that Jesus and his disciples are in at this point politically. Like they have really caused some waves and they recognize like, oh man, we could be easily put to death here. And not to mention too, the sadness of like a loved one or a good friend dying, mm-hmm. they're already dead. I'm not going to go now and visit. Like I might go to the funeral, but it's yeah. like, well, we can't really, what right. can we do now anyway? Yeah. Uh, and this is really chapter 11, verse 17 through um, the end of 11. Mm-hmm. So packed. And John really packs the rest of his book. Oh, man. Um, but this is where you get some famous verses worth memorizing, where Martha says, uh, or Jesus says, your brother will rise again. She says, I know, I believe in the resurrection on the last day. Mm-hmm. So she has an understanding that we're going to all be resurrected. Yeah. But he says, no, 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 I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall live. Yet yeah. shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Mm-hmm. I mean, that preaches itself. That is the gospel. And she says, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ. I, so I love this. Like You get to see like this side of Martha. Because before, in the earlier story, she's like, working the house and she's like kind of mad that Mary's not helping. Right. And and God kind of rebukes her, but in this passage you see she's the first one to Jesus. She's saying, "Lord, why if you were here, my brother wouldn't have died, but I believe that you can ask God for anything." And then she has this amazing like display of faith. Well, see, I in I, the death of her brother. I think um and then you contrast that with he meets Mary. Yeah. So, okay. I think Jesus meets us where we're at, especially in death. So Martha is trying to figure this out because she's, it's not a character flaw that she's a servant, right? Mm -hmm. And that she's figuring things, she's running the numbers on, we're going to have this many guests, we're going to do this. And Jesus doesn't rebuke her for that. He says, the the bigger thing right now is to sit at my feet. Yeah. So it's, I know we use like, don't be a Martha. No, Martha is brilliant Mm -hmm. and she's a servant and she just, you know, it's hard to know what to do when the son of God is in your house. All right. And you're trying to take care of everybody. Um, she's not rebu- like rebuked lightly for that, but he gives her the answer, a beautiful verse. He he meets her where she is, which is, I am the resurrection and the life, which is very comforting to a lot of us. Yeah. But then there's the interaction with Mary, which is a different personality, and it's very comforting what he does here. Yeah. She says the same question, where were you? And the answer Jesus has, when we encounter death and sickness and mm-hmm. misfortune... Jesus, that's the question that we honestly should have, is where were you, Jesus, so that we can honestly hear the answer. And the answer is always, I'm here now. I'm here now with you, Martha, and I am the resurrection of life. I'm here now with you, Mary, and he cries. Yeah, because she's crying. She's at his feet crying. And it's, I've said this, I, I use this a lot when I do funerals, because I love, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm a Mary. I'm a bit of a Mary, maybe a bit too emotional. That verse, the shortest verse in the Bible, one of the first verses I ever memorized because it was the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept, John eleven thirty five. 35. Jesus wept. That's a whole verse. You can memorize it right now. I love that because Jesus does not dismiss the pain of sin, which produces death. And he knows 
death is not right. We were not created for death. And he cries, mm-hmm. even though he knows he's going to, he, he knows I have power over death. Yeah. But he's like, this is wrong. And then everyone says, see how much he loved him. I love both sides. I actually need both. I need Jesus to say, I'm here now. I'm the resurrection of life. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord. And then I need him to cry with me. Mm-hmm. Ah, so good. But then he gets accused. Well, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Yeah. If he loved him so much, why wasn't he here? And I, the idea of couldn't he have kept this bad thing? No. Jesus doesn't keep the bad things from happening. You're misunderstanding. He walks with you through the bad thing to life. Mm-hmm. We sin. Mm-hmm. We are the bad thing. Mm-hmm. Can't keep us from being sinful. Right. We are dead in our sins. Yeah, so he enters that. into death. Quite literally with Lazarus then, he does the thing <laughs> that only he has power to do. And he says, take away the stone. And then he says, um, they go, Lord, they're all very practical. It's going <laughs> to stink. In the old King James, it says, stinketh. Lord, he will stinketh. And of course he'll stinketh. He's been dead four days. But Jesus just says, I tell you, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? You guys are about to see the full glory of God, the whole purpose of this mission. And then he prays. Oh, man. Okay, I love this prayer. Yeah, you got to talk about this. I love this prayer. So they moved the stone away, and Jesus says out loud, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Boom. I knew that you always hear. I know that you always hear me. Boom. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. I love that. that oh, I of mean, course. Showing the the true heart and like having a heart towards God, turning your heart towards God is knowing that He hears you because you are in a real relationship with the Creator of the universe. And that real relationship, you know, you're in a relationship when you have the faith and the belief that God, you hear me. Yeah. I know you hear me. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I have that with my wife. Thank you. Like, I know I struggle, you know, the closest people in my life. Do you hear my heart? It's very hard to hear. It's hard for us to hear God. And Jesus says, God, I know you hear me. And I want my friends to know that you hear us. You see our sadness. You cry for the death that you are saving us from. Mm -hmm. Because it's not right. I know. But I can do something about it. And he says, Lazarus, come out. And then he comes out and then he says, unbind him and let him go which I said this once a long time ago and someone accused me of being over-spiritualizing. It's always bothered me because I'm like, I don't think I'm over-spiritualizing this when I say Christ calls us out of death and then the, a lot of our work is he's unbinding us yeah. and letting us go in this new freedom. <laughs> yeah, I, man, I think that's brilliant. I right, so that. it's like God calls you out. You have this great little faith, but you know what? We're wrapped up in the death and we stink oh. and you don't instantly come out with a new haircut like when you get saved, you're not like, I'm ready to go. It's like, no, man, we're going to have to unwrap a lot of binding. We're going to have to, you have to be nurtured and loved. And then immediately huh. you're hated because uh, the enemies are like, Let, we have to kill. What are we? They all gathered, right? They all, the Pharisees gathered at the council and said, what are we going to do? And now they're thinking, we got to kill Jesus and this Lazarus guy because yeah. he's a walking billboard. <laughs> Yeah, I okay, so one, I've never heard you say that before. Oh, because I, I got discouraged like 15 years ago. Someone's uh, like, you're over-spiritualizing that. I'm like, well, it works for me, man. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Uh, that is a brilliant example. I think that's dead on. Okay, thank you. Uh, also, yeah, this is the next part of the story that I've never really focused on <laughs> is the immediate reaction to this amazing event. He brought some his friend back to life 
And the first thing, like the first real response is, uh, we got to kill Jesus and his friend that he just rose from back from the dead. This guy that just came back to life, yeah, we got to put him back in the ground. Yes, because it doesn't serve. And you know what it doesn't serve is in verse 48, he said, if they said, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Yeah. That's what it comes down to, guys. Yeah. Someone just came out of the grave and you're concerned about your place and your nation because yeah. the Romans are still occupying Ooh. land God gave to you, which should be enough of a condemnation that God is not with you right now. Oh, man. Okay, so uh, there's one guy, Caiaphas. He says, uh, it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not the whole nation should perish. Uh, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. Yeah. Yeah, because, again, Caiaphas is the high priest. And so it's so funny to see, like, God still works through that position, yeah. whether they realize it or not. So Caiaphas has no idea that he's pro- make, making a prophecy for the, of God. But he, yeah, I love that he announces that Jesus will die for the sake of the nation. So they literally choose. From that day, they made plans to put him to death, Jesus. So they're like, all right, we just need to kill Jesus. Yeah. We won't worry about Lazarus. He's not the one. Yeah. We can't maybe get away with two murders. Um, so now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and they all went, and Jesus has to stop walking openly, right? Mm-hmm. And they're looking for Jesus, and, and this is the old... Um, what do you think? Will he come to the feast? And the chief mm-hmm. priests and the Pharisees given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let him know so that they might arrest him. Mm-hmm. And that's, so ironically, that's the beauty of Jesus being, meeting Martha, meeting Mary with I'm the resurrection, with weeping, with then victory over death and the gentleness with Lazarus, unbind him, set him free, mm-hmm. is met with now we know we have to kill him because... Yeah. because Again, they don't understand the relationship with God. They're thinking this magic trick is going to deceive everyone and it's going to make the Romans mad. They're still dealing with Philistines. Yeah, they really are. And then chapter 12 through 11 is kind of a follow-up to uh, Mary. And this is the Mary, Lazarus. There's two Marys Mm -hmm. that do this. And and I I think... Okay, so first let me say the story. She takes expensive... A pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Mm-hmm. So these are themes of clean and unclean. Mm-hmm. And so, again, presenting to Jesus not only a sacrifice of this gift, but a submission, using her own hair to clean filthy feet. Mm-hmm. Um and you had some what was that verse about that? Yeah, so in, in Leviticus when they were talking about uh making the whole holy oil an anointment that no ordinary man should be anointed with this oil. And again, I think it's just a call back to the recognition of who Jesus is. He's not an ordinary man. He needs to be anointed. He needs to be cleansed. And this thing that's been set apart as holy can be used on him because he is holy. Right. And then it fills the whole place with a fragrance, mm-hmm. a beautiful smell. And the response of Judas is this could have been sold for 300 whatever's denarii and uh, we could have given to the poor Mm -hmm. and then jesus says leave her alone (laughs) so that she may keep it for the day of my burial yeah so that that alone is a big statement but then he says for the poor you always have with you but you do not always have me so mary understands the presence of god in his human nature for a limited time is here she's in it to win it yeah judas does not understand this and his heart begins to turn 
because we talked about this in the other Gospels. Yeah. He's righteously doing kind of what the high priests are doing. Like, we're supposed to be about the poor. This is too extravagant. And and I think he's not sure. His heart's just turning. Yeah. You see his heart turning. Here. Yeah, and then even in this one, John kind of gives a little thing about how he was in charge of the money bags and he was skimming off the top yeah. and like keeping some for himself. And so you're starting to recognize, like, all right, Judas is kind of like doing whatever he can to get out. Like, whatever he can get out of this, he's just taking what yeah. he can get out of this. He's, like, trying to get out of this relationship by already uh, saving, trying to get some extra money, yeah. maybe have a little apartment on the side, and yeah. he's not fully breaking it off until he's ready to fly. Yeah. And then and then uh, a large crowd comes to their house, and they're seeing Lazarus, and they're oh, like, oh, yeah. man. And, and again, the chief priests are like, well shoot, I guess we really are going to have to kill Lazarus. Yeah, they're like, yeah, yeah we're, we're just going to kill him. And, and uh, that's kind of where we end this story. And as a result, though, because on account of Lazarus, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Yeah. So, again, more momentum. The people who are clinging to power are losing power, and the ones with no power are gaining power because yeah. they're around Jesus. Um, I guess the only thing I want to say is I love, you know, do you believe that I am the resurrection and life? Though you die, you shall not die. Mm-hmm. You shall live. Do you believe this? And we respond, yes, we believe. And help our unbelief. Help our unbelief, and that saves us in Jesus' name. All right. So today I'm going to read Psalm 64. It's a psalm of David. Hear my voice, O God, in my complaint. Preserve my life from dread of the enemy. Hide me from the secret plots of the wicked, from the throng of evildoers, who wet their tongues like swords, who aim bitter words like arrows. Shooting from ambush at the blameless, shooting at him suddenly and without fear, they hold fast to their evil purpose. They talk of laying snares secretly, thinking, who can see them? They search out injustice, saying, we have accomplished a diligent search, for the inward mind and heart of a man are deep, but God shoots his arrows at them. They are wounded suddenly. They are brought to ruin with their own tongues turned against them. All who see them will wag their heads. Then all mankind fears. They tell what God has brought about and ponder what he has done. Let the righteous one rejoice in the Lord and take refuge in him. Let all the upright in heart exalt. Boom. You've just been fed by ravens. Go in peace and serve the Lord. We'll talk to you next time.